And we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. It's good to be home from the desert. Just got back from Joshua Tree. Alpha Vedic was involved with an amazing event over the weekend, uh, Music and Sky and the Reunion Summit. It was a long one. My voice is actually a little crackly still from it, but just wanted to say thank you to all of the community who came out and supported us uh, for this amazing, just show-stopping, revolutionary event we were involved with. We curated all the workshops and speakers there. And uh, mad shout out to Matt and Owen, Josh, everybody who was involved, the principals in, um, had the cojones to uh, do this when nobody else would. And guess what? It went off without a hitch. It was perfect. No issues. We oversold the event. People just were vibrating on a higher dimension by the second day. It was like we were in 5D already. Things that we wanted manifested like that. It was just quite the event. We're going to do a full, I'll do, I'll do more of a summary of it, Bear, when we do our talk uh, next week. We have our, our own talk next week, so I can take a little more time. I don't want to take too much time from our guests today. But I, I did want to just thank everybody who came out and supported us and enjoyed uh, the weekend out in the desert. I want to give a shout out to Garth and Garth's Boulder Gardens too for allowing us to use that venue. It was it's just absolutely stunning place of healing and, and togetherness. And we really got grounded in nature and community out there. And just, uh, it was just overwhelming, the, the amount of support and love that was flowing through uh, those desert uh, rocks out there. So, Thanks again, everybody. And if you want to have more, uh, know more, we're going to develop the Music and Love site to have all the co- a lot of content on there. So Music and Love, or excuse me, Music and Sky, musicandsky.com. Uh, and then, of course, the Reunion Summit will be coming out of that. And uh, we have a number of workshops and speakers that will be, uh, it'll be going uh, through the summit. So James Maskell, Dr. Melissa Sell, uh, Hang the Banksters, Troy Casey, uh, who else? Uh, Dr. Um, Edith Ubuntu Chan, myself, um, uh, Josh Del Sol was there. So many amazing speakers and people there. Justin Franson did an amazing job. And so this will all be going out um, to the world as we really push the envelope in terms of health and freedom and, and sovereignty. Every topic was cutting edge on like the, the forefront of the cutting edge of where we need to be going from new Germanic medicine to common law, status correction stuff to uh, I did a talk on uh, the new holistic economic model of decentralization. It was really exciting. And I can't tell you how many people left saying I'm quitting my job. I'm going to get reconnected and find something that I'm passionate about in my life. And that was an amazing takeaway. So once again, thanks to everybody who came out. It really was uh, a game-changing event, and uh, we appreciate and we love you. Uh, today, we are jumping back into what we do best, which is AlphaCast. I've got Dr. Berlando here, and we've got returning to AlphaCast for um, an exciting part two of the discussion is uh, Don Lester and David Parker coming to us live from the UK. Um, Don Lester and David Parker, of course, are well-known for their amazing book, what really makes you ill, why everything you thought you knew about disease is wrong. What a volume here uh, of just amazing information and research. Um, Just to give you a little background, if you're not familiar with them, uh, Don Lester and David Parker have backgrounds in the fields of accountancy and electrical engineering, respectively. 
These fields both require an aptitude for logic, which proved extremely useful for their investigation that has involved more than 10 years continuous research to find answers to the question, what really makes people ill? Free from the dogma and biases inherent within medical science, their logical approach to investigation allowed an unbiased discovery process to reveal the flaws within the conventional illness and disease mindset that is promulgated by the medical establishment. The results of their investigation were revealed within their book, What Really Makes You Ill, Why Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease is Wrong. Don and David are returning today for an even deeper discussion as we kind of dive deeper into education and um, just everything involved with the current Cerveza hoax uh, and all that jazz. How are you guys doing today, uh, David and Don? Yeah, fine, thank you. We're very good, thank you. And uh, great to be back to speak to you guys again. <clears throat> and there's Bear, how you doing, sir? I'm uh, <clears throat> really pissed off today. How are you doing, Michael? <laughs> Well, um, I'm glad that that's working out for you there. Are you challenging uh, Germanic <laughs> new medicine or what? Are you trying to manifest some disease or what's going on? Uh, I was just right before I, I got in uh, to prepare for this today, I got a little message from one of my suppliers in Europe who uh, oh. supplies very high level biological medicines that follow the dictates of real science and biology and it's a core medicine in biotrain medicine. And uh, they were just informed by the federal drug cartel that uh, they were no longer allowed in the country because too many people uh, were starting to rely on those for the Cerveza hoax uh, rather than real medicine. So now uh, doctors doing real biological uh, intelligent medicine uh, are short the tools, a real key tool that you know, we need to, to do our work and, and actually uh, help people's health and save lives and all that kind of good stuff. But hey, what the heck. Hey, Dawn and Dave, uh, great to have you back here. Uh, so kind of you to be with us. You know, your last episode was very popular with our audience. And um, I, I know we'll delve a little deeper into what really makes us ill because it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it is a deep subject. And uh, we kind of scratched the surface last time. But you guys did a brilliant job. And, uh, you know, the little story that I just shared with you guys and, and everything we're talking about really goes back to one fundamental issue that is creating all of our problems, and that is a lack of education. Uh, or um, uh, along with lack of education, I, I guess you have to throw in just uh, gross overt propaganda in there at the same time. And of course, the media, the education system, is keeping the populace in a state of mind that allows them to sell their wares and gain greater and greater control. So uh, it would be great today, uh, you know, while we're talking about anywhere you want to take us, um, we can maybe look at the crux of the problem, which is we have a lack of uh, authentic information that people can rely on to make informed decisions. So thanks again for being here, you guys, and uh, the floor is yours. Take it away, and, and uh, uh, we'll probably have a few questions for you along the way here. Oh, yeah, I hope so. So that'll be really good. Yeah, we, because of really, we, we get a lot of feedback. Obviously, we've, uh, over the months that we've been sort of uh, running this, and since our book came out, a lot of people write to us as they're reading our book, which is great, and uh, they can see the logic behind what we've put together 
and the fact that there's no scientific evidence to support what the medical establishment and the government is doing, none whatsoever. So a lot of people write to us and say, we can see it. Why do so many people, the majority of people, not see it? Why can they not see this deceit? Why can they not see that there is no logic even, let alone scientific evidence, behind all the ridiculous mask wearing, the social distancing, you know, over here they start to close the pubs and bars at uh, 10 o'clock in the evening because the government said they believe the coronavirus is more virulent after 10 p.m. in the evening. I mean, it's uh, uh, just pure stupidity. And, but, and the people are seeing it, but they're saying the vast majority of people don't see it. They can't see how they're being manipulated. And all of these ridiculous things, they seem to be taking them lying down. So many people write to us in, in seeming desperation as to what they can do. Is there anything they can do to get people to see the light? And, uh, you know, sometimes it's causing friction in the family uh, with their friends because they try to explain to them uh, the true nature of illness and uh, people can get very upset about it and uh, friendships are lost and uh, uh, you know families can't even talk about it in the same house because it just leads to a row um, and so we thought well okay let's ha let's have uh, a closer look at this and see if we can offer some reason as to where the root cause is as you originally said there and we've obviously talked in the past about the education of doctors and how it's restricted um, in what they learn in medical school. So they don't ask some of the basic questions of, uh, well, where is the proof for a virus causing a disease? Or where is the proof for this particular bacterium causing a disease? They don't ask those questions. And their training doesn't really allow them to go there. So when we think about it and we look very closely at it, um, it is quite obviously that we have certainly in the West a controlled education system and we can talk a little more about why that is but I did come across um, a, a quote from a well he was a, an American journalist stroke pundit uh, of the sort of uh, 19th century really I think he died in 1956 uh, some of you may have heard of him H.L. Uh, Mencken um, it doesn't matter if you didn't I, I recommend having a look at some of his work he's quite a satirist really and has made some very poignant remarks about uh, society generally but I liked one of his quotes because it uh, came up uh, what I think which summed up the point about education very nicely and I'll just read it to you so I don't get it wrong and he said the aim of public education is not to spread enlightenment at all it is simply to reduce as many individuals as possible to the same safe level to breed a standard citizenry to suppress dissenting originality. And I think he's hit them mark right on the head. Uh, and that's really what's happening. So basically, as we've sometimes said and quipped to people, that the, the whole education system is designed to give people just enough education to perform, <laughs> um, you know, to for most people to become either uh, factory fodder or cannon fodder and i'm sure people know what i mean when i say that and so the it became sort of clear to us that it's the basic system that is wrong right from 
day one, when a child first goes to school, it's been trained in a certain way. And it's really without, it's a very insidious thing. They've been trained to be subservient, really, to obey certain rules, to respect authority, not to question, to just really memorize the facts. And I say that in inverted commas, memorize the facts that they're given about whatever it happens to be. Now, fair enough, there's a certain basic uh, learning to read and write, and no one would dispute that. But when it comes to history and all the rest of it, then uh, anyone who's looked into the sort of official lines of history or the official lines of just about anything, they realize that we're, uh, as a general public, not told the truth really about anything of any major consequence. Okay. So, and another thing that we found as well, and that we come across this a lot because of our backgrounds, uh, mine in, in electrical engineering, and people want to question, uh, well, what, what right have we got? to question uh, authority. What right have we got to question the medical establishment? You know, uh, we're, not, we're not MDs, and so what can we possibly know? And so we've sort of said to people, well, what, what constitutes an expert? What is it that you think constitutes an expert? And could a, a long story short, really, because um, most people think an expert has to have some particular certified piece of paper given from um some authority of some sort okay and unless you've got one of those particular pieces of paper i'm thinking in this case uh to question the medical establishment they think you should have you should be an md you should have a, a phd in medicine or something um but to me that's just not correct uh we would think uh, to look at the definition of an expert is it's someone who has the knowledge and ability to carry out the particular task that's required. Now, how they come by, by that knowledge and ability doesn't mean that they have to have gone to a university. In fact, um, I don't know whether I've got another one of uh, uh, Mr. Mencken's quotes here, which is uh, quite interesting, somewhat humorous. He said, it's the classic fallacy of our time that a moron run through a university and decorated with a PhD will thereby cease to be a moron. Uh, which is quite an interesting observation. <laughs> now, I'm not trying to say that all people with PhDs are morons, of course, but I think probably people will take my point. Just because someone has a particular piece of paper does not mean that they are satisfactorily um, able to carry out the job that they've done. And uh, in my life as an electrical engineer within industry, I came across this a number of times. Um, and where people had got uh, very good paper qualifications, but they were completely hopeless at doing the job. And to some extent, the uh, Electrical Engineering Institute, uh, the Institute of Electrical Engineers as it is in the UK, had actually realised this to some extent at least, because if, a, let's say, an outside engineer was coming onto a site that he'd not been on before, even though he may have as many pieces of paper as you like in electrical engineering, it still classed him, uh, classes them as not a qualified person until they've had an indoctrination, if you like, on the particular site that they're on, so that they become familiarized with the electrical equipment and the electrical drawings. Um, they don't have to pass any exam, but they have to gain that knowledge and experience of the equipment before they're classed as a qualified person to work under the law and safety regulations. 
So at least to some extent, they're recognizing what a true uh, qualified person is. Nothing to do with the certificates. It's the ability to do the job. Okay, but the education system that we've got seems to not train people to be experts in anything, not to be truly qualified. It gives them a piece of paper at the end of some course, which only means that they've conformed to the uh, information that they've been given during their course and have passed an exam to regurgitate the answers um, that they've been asked to regurgitate. And of course, this uh, applies very much to doctors. And I'm not singling them out as the worst culprits, of course, uh, but that's exactly what happens. Uh, but it, it happens in many walks of life. So we need to look at that education system. And I think many people have started to do that. Um, and that sort of brings me on to, to ask about uh, homeschooling. Uh, now, I think it's becoming much more popular in the States. We have it in the UK, uh, but it probably not so much as uh, in the States. And I think that's because more people are realizing that uh, the government education system, state education systems is doing just that, failing their children to not uh, allow them to think creatively, not to be able to think criti critically, and therefore they grow up in a very uniform way, which from the state's point of view, as H.L. Uh, Mencken recognized, is exactly what they want. They don't want individual people uh, people to be individuals and to think for themselves, much like uh, in the uh, armed forces. You know, they don't want people to think for themselves because uh, that's dangerous. They want to be able to issue an order and the soldier, let's say, carries it out without thinking. Um, and in a less extreme way, that's really what the state education wants for people to not think outside the box, to realize or to be fooled into thinking but they pass certain exams take uh, that are set by the state to form them in a certain way. And, uh, and then they go on to university, they get a degree, let's say. But again, they're still being moulded in a certain way. And of course, they then accrue a load of debt <laughs> whilst they're at university through student loans or whatever, uh, which some people never get to pay off. So they're then in a financial trap as well. So it's a very good way from the state's point of view to uh, limit really what true education is. It's more, I would call it indoctrination, not education, and to mold them to suit the purposes of the state and the corporations. Um, okay, so homeschooling were, is anathema to the state because it can produce individual people. It can produce children who can grow up to think for themselves and to question uh, the way of the world. And they soon start to see that uh, the way the world is organized is to benefit the few at the expense of the many. And the many are, of course, all of us. And we benefit these few by the high rates of tax. And basically, we're sort of worker bees for the system. Um, and it's only when people don't really think outside the box, they think that's, that's the normal way of things. But people who become individual and start to think for themselves and think in a more critical manner, um, like ourselves, if you like, we can see that, that this is not a good thing. 
and this is a type of uh, well it's slavery it's imprisonment so we need a different education system and one way to get that is to take people out of the current education system and to educate them in a different way to educate them in a better way now what i see happening and i and I'd appreciate your input from this because we see it happening in the uk that because there is a rise in the amount of parents who are now starting to homeschool their children and the state has started to realize this is not the way they want things to go and so they're already putting bills through parliament here to allow local authorities to intervene and to start to send inspectors round to people's private homes to see if they agree that their children are being educated in the way that the state wants so this is a very insidious thing and but you can see where it's leading you know they'll want to insist that the children even if you've got them at home that they're educated in a certain way and you're back to just carrying out the state curriculum but at home <laughs> at your own expense so i wondered what sort of experiences you've had in the states as regards any pressures being put on or anything that you've seen like i've just mentioned in the uk excuse me <clears throat> in the uk if that sort of thing is starting to creep in to try and get more control of homeschooling oh ab and absolutely and you know mike and i have kind of a parallel experience only a lot of years apart because my kids are his age and we homeschooled our kids uh back in the day because we looked at the school system and said no it's unacceptable you know when i was uh, doing graduate studies we had a a way of referring to the the MS or the P, the BS MS PhD sequence we called it bullshit more shit and piled high and deep <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so you know but at least back then you know we had the tail end of classical education and it was more based on critical thought we had classical logic it, it was a required course you know I prepped I didn't go to public school and uh, we were required, you know, we, we had to learn Latin, which, you know, it's not a dead language because it's the basis of, of all of our words. So now I can actually look at words and, and know their meaning. And, and um, even though I'm not a linguist, you know, not an expert in that field, you know, I can figure out what words mean and, and, and you know, what people are talking about in the first place. The other thing is that, uh, you know, after graduate studies, I started teaching at university. And um, there is this amazing thing that happened in just a few years since, you know, I had been where my students were. Now, I taught a couple of divisions that were required uh, for college seniors and graduate students in that particular field. And I did my classical kind of, uh, you know, testing process where they're required to do blue books and you had to write till you had writer's cramp. And then I'd actually sit there for hours every night and, you know, and figure out their thought processes, not about, you know, did you get the right answer so you get a dog bone, but already that these were college seniors and graduate students and already they lost that ability for critical thinking and they were blown away that I wasn't just giving multiple choice and true and false objective exams. I mean, there was almost like a rebellion and I'm like, no, no way. You guys are going to do the work. You're going to learn. You're going to think. That is uh, sorely missing. Uh, you know, there's uh, something in classical education, which I know you're aware of, it's called uh, trivium quadrivium. 
And uh, I've been a, a great student of that for many years. And actually, I model my whole medical approach on that logistical model where you have to go a, through a sequence of information gathering and then it's based on certain authentic sciences not this other stuff they call science these days and uh, like you say even if you're not an expert in a particular field when you know how to think that way then you can figure out you know you get a really good bs meter is what you get so you don't have to be a medical expert and when you bring that to the table, you can listen to doctors and just say, that doesn't even make any sense. And also see that doctors these days are grossly misinformed, but have a very uh, deeply uh, emotional <laughs> triggering mechanism based on all the effort that they put into their education, whereas as if they're challenged, you know, right away it, it triggers dissonance rather than a logical process where they'd say, wow, you know, you're right. You know, just really simple conclusions that any of us could come to. So um, I, I couldn't agree more. And it starts way back at day one. We had our kids in homeschool when, you know, they were like five years old, you know, and they normally treat uh, or start regular school and all the way through uh, up till college. And I said, hey, don't bother with college unless you really want it. I'll send you through if you want. Uh, they too stepped into college and, you know, went uh, through a very nice university and got their degrees and everything. And I, you know, finance, I say, okay, whatever you want. Um, but I think college, especially now, since, you know, all those years ago is actually detrimental to your mental uh, health. And, you know, we confuse knowledge with information. What we get in school is information. And that doesn't become knowledge in, unless you can apply it to real life experience. And then, you know, then that's knowledge. So that was my experience. We had a great homeschooling experience. We remained peers with our kids, which meant we had a, a nice, healthy family dynamics all the way through. There wasn't that great chasm of generation gap. The kids were exposed to what we wanted them exposed to. We socialized them even better than if they were in the same classroom with the same people, the same teacher all day long. And now, uh, you know, all these years later, Mike, I'll let you make any comments. Um, you know, you're just embarking on the same thing with your kids and it's a whole different world. We were able to go under the radar. We knew that you didn't go ask for permission. I mean, that's absolutely insane. Why would you do that and draw somebody's scrutiny of somebody that's an imbecile in the end anyway? Uh, now, you know, Mike's in a situation and people of his generation where if they want to do that, there's a lot more, you know, Gestapo behind the system that actually goes after homeschoolers and people like that and commit, you know, considers them domestic terrorists or something. So um, that's just my commentary on the whole thing. Uh, thanks for bearing with me, Mike. Any <laughs> comments you have from your experience now? And oh, man, and then yeah. uh, Dawn, I know you've got some uh, great ideas about it. So I'll sit back and listen to you guys. I mean seeing what the modern public schooling i mean so i think it's actually important to understand the us kind of and i think this relates to the uh, the current european situation where it all came from which it comes from this like prussian right um it comes from the prussian model of schooling from the 1700s 1800s uh horace mann was instrumental in bringing it to the united states in the mid 1800s uh, and uh, he, he even admitted that uh, the intensive schooling were evil. 
Uh, they were using the public education to crush the independent spirits of the children, the Prussian Empire, ensure loyalty to the leader. But they brought it over to the U.S. and, and basically institutionalized it uh, with government. And that's really the issue here is the, the structure that is overarching structure of society is what is controlling education as it has for eons, of course, going all the way back to the Roman Empire and in the Catholic Church and all of that. So it's, we've always been kind of having deal with these issues for a long, long time. But there was a period in time in the U.S. where we had actually like real education from the Revolutionary War for the first hundred years or so, uh, where we had a, a big boom of education, had a lot of bright, bright people, and it was community schooling. And I think that's where we, we need to get back to. I think homeschooling is important. Um, but what we talked about a lot in this weekend that we just had in this gathering is the idea of building community. And I think, and I know Bear will attest to this because he talks, he's talked about this a lot in his homeschooling uh, experience. It wasn't just he and Deb um, teaching uh, Bryden and, and, and Blaine and their, their kids. It was, it was a community involved. It was the people who were coming into the clinic it was other practitioners, other educators that would come in and help with whether that be music, art, whatever. We got to get back to this idea of, 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 of having our own community. And I don't know what that could mean for everybody. It could be your town. It could be your neighborhood. It could be a, a, a virtual mix of things because it's easier now than ever to be involved in community thanks to technology. Technology isn't all bad, guys. So community schooling right is we need to f create our own communities and get out of the substructure or the, the overarching structure of the corporatocracy which has been what common core is right the common core schooling system is literally just corporatized schooling and it's all based on this prussian model still of of from the industrialization um of of our children so that they can be basically trained to go into um, the la you know, into the factories to be worker bees and for the, the Borg. So in our experience, it's gotten a lot worse there. My kids, so, and I've talked about this a lot in the show, so I don't want to go too deep into it, but when we moved up to this little town up in the, up in the Six Rivers National Forest, we were going to homeschool, but we were right next to this cute little mountain school that was in our community. And community is really important for my, the, my wife and I, very important. That's why we moved here. We want our kids to be involved in a community of bright, beautiful, loving, you know, neighbors and people, which we have here. We're so lucky to have it here. So it is a public school, but it's small, right? It's like a classic country school where it's like K through third is one, K through second is one class, third through six, and then seventh and eighth, or excuse me, third through fifth, and then sixth, seventh and eighth. Or they've kind of broken up different as it's gotten bigger, but so it was like kind of, you know, only 60 kids in the school and we knew the teachers were involved with the, with the going into class. My wife would go in and work within the school and the teachers would buck the trends of the state and they would kind of do their own teaching. And we thought that was pretty cool. And it was also right next to our, our house. We literally share a fence with it. And the idea too, was that they were going to be integrating nature and nature walks and all the stuff. So when we started, we're like, let's go for it. We had come from Montessori which is a unique way to teach. And we were happy with Montessori, but they didn't have that up here. So we said, okay, we'll go with it. Within three years time, they converted the school into a STEM school. So science, technology, engineering, and math, which just means an iPad school 
which means a tablet school. Um, there is no nature walks because of all the, the, the potential lawsuits. So our kids never got out of class except for their playground. Um, when I went in there, this poor teacher was overwhelmed because of all the um, basically uh, limitations they were given where they had to follow specific procedures. And the kids were on a screen all day, which was Wi-Fi. So they were being, having EMF radiation. They're getting that bl harsh blue light. I gave my kids glasses to wear. They weren't allowed to wear them, the blue blocker glasses. They were told to take them off. I don't know why. It was just like red flag after red flag. And then COVID has been a blessing in disguise because it kicked our ass into full gear because what happened, and I think a really dark, darker issue with the COVID thing and with the, with the virtual schooling is that it's, it's propelling into the next level of the, of the Prussian schooling system, which is now the um, training the worker bees for the information age or the, or the age of um, working virtually. Uh, and so now the kids, you, you know, David, you said, uh, yeah, it's important to learn reading and writing. They aren't learning reading and writing anymore. They're not even learning writing. My kids weren't learning cursive. They are not teaching cursive anymore in school. They're barely teaching printing. They're now regurgitating. So it's even worse. So the, we were going to give the school one more shot. And I sat down with my third grader on the first day of school for for um, uh, reading comprehension. And it had an actor reading a book to him about racism, was the first day of school, by the way, about racism, which is important to understand. There is a history of racism in the world, of course. Uh, humans are humans and there's oppressive systems. But the first day of school, the agenda is just so obvious, right? It's just like, come on, man. So anyways, it's, it, there, there is a black actor reading and like, and, and then reading about this story of, of a racist town in the South and inflecting his voice to hit home certain points of political points to my kid. And then on top of that, when they have to do the comprehension, they don't write, they just talk back into a video, record it and send it in. So there's no reading and writing. It's listening and talking back. It's literally propagandizing and having you then regurgitate it back. It was so appalling to me. I said, we're out. We're pulling them out now, pulling them out. So we pulled our kids out. Um, we're fortunate enough to have um, got connected with an au pair, which is this like really cool. Um, it's kind of like a kind of, if you've heard of woofer for uh, organic farming, where you have somebody who wants to come learn on a farm, they, they live, you give them housing and, and you feed them and then they, you know, they work on the farm. Well, this is kind of the idea, but helping with your children so we have a recent high school grad who was looking to, to live in the, up here in this beautiful place. And she, in exchange for housing and uh, food and a little bit of money, she's helping with the kids, which has been a godsend because unlike what back in the day, it's life's really hectic, more hectic now. And we got to work a lot harder, right? Because the debt system has made life so difficult. Back in the 70s and 80s and 90s when Bear and Deb were doing the homeschooling, it was a lot easier because... Um, the system wasn't so fractured. So luckily we have this au pair, Ruby, who has just been a godsend, who's been helping with the children. And on top of that, it's a lot harder to go through the homeschooling process because of all the restrictions in place now uh, to get your paperwork. So what we did is we, we were actually working with, an on, uh, with the oldest online classical school system here out of Ojai. 
Um, so we're kind of doing a shortcut. It is an actual school. We're not fully homeschooling while we are. So there is online classes, but we have paper. They send actual books. So it's, it's actual books. They're teaching cursive. They're teaching real history. I've gone, we, we really went into all the, all the coursework. It's old school. There is Prussian elements of schooling, of course, in it. It's hard to get away from that, but we're supplementing that with our own education. So we're doing kind of a hybrid educational uh, thing with our, with our kids here. Um, it, it, just because I'm so busy, my wife's working two jobs right now. So, um, you know, I wish I could be doing the, the, the pure non-schooling, the unschooling, which maybe eventually I'll, I'll, I'll go into. And we have friends like Dr. Edith Ubuntu Chan, who um, was just at Joshua Tree and talked about it, who is doing that and has her kids always with her, integrated into her life. And then the, the unschooling is probably the future, but I think it's the community unschooling that's the future. Like having a community of, of people that are awake, that are understanding that the corporatocracy is structure is not where we want to go. And having our own community, like going back to the indigenous cultures and how they did it, that's really where we need to go. And, I, and, I, and so for this year, if we're trying this out, just to give us a transitional period and then you know, I would love to move into the unschooling. So that's kind of where we are right now. I do know people. So in California, we're in California, it's getting, they're trying to stop. We knew that they're with SB 276 and SB 277, they made it one um, where those are the vaccine mandates and stuff. They're using that as a, as a foothold to then target homeschoolers because a lot of people are homeschooling now that are into health and freedom or health freedom advocates that don't want to poison their children with uh, toxic chemicals. And so now we know through those, those groups that I've been involved with, they know that the legislation is coming down the line to make homeschooling basically um, very difficult to do and eventually illegal, whatever that means. So, um, we're, and we're seeing that, we were just talking about that, like in Germany, you were saying, David, that uh, currently it's, a, it's illegal to homeschool there? Yeah, that's correct. And, uh... As we know, if they declare it anything illegal, it just means the government doesn't like it anymore, and uh, and they stop you doing it. And I mean, hearing what uh, both yourself and Bear have said is sort of very interesting uh, to me <clears throat> because it it really proves my fears, <laughs> confirms my fears, should I say, because of what's happening in the UK as well and what's already happened in Germany where they just don't allow it. Um, <clears throat> and we have to ask ourselves. Why do the state <clears throat> take such a drastic interest in the education of children? And it brings me right back to where I started, where they want to control that because it's a type of mind control to form the, each generation uh, to, be, to conform and to only believe certain things and to work for the state and for the corporations. <clears throat> Um, and that is quite obvious that uh, that's why they're taking such interest and that's why they're starting to formulate more laws like in the UK to, to really make it impossible for parents to have that freedom anymore. Even though in the UK there is no law, <clears throat> which surprised me actually when I looked into it, there is no law that says you have to send your child to school. The only law that there is is that your child has to have an education. So that of course made it okay for parents to educate their children at home. But now, as I say, the state has realised that uh, more people are doing that, and so they're making new laws 
to uh, step in and start to control things. And as I say, the reason has got to be uh, for no other reason than controlling education is such a, an important thing, and, and particularly to start with children. It, it brings me to a point, because uh, I know, uh, Mike, you mentioned uh, the uh, Catholic Church, as well as people may know back in history, <laughs> um, the Jesuits were sort of dissipated around the world to sort of bring, uh, well, Catholicism as it was, but certainly Christianity to the world. And we're sort of uh, educate, starting uh, basic education systems then. And it's a quote from a particular Jesuit priest that said, uh, give me the child until the age of seven and I'll give you the man. And that really says it all. They know very well if those first few formative years that they can get the brainwashing in, let's call it what it is, then it'll form the rest of their life. And that, so it's a very insidious, evil thing that uh, has been thought out and planned. And so, you know, I agree wholeheartedly to be able to get the kids. Uh, I mean, obviously my kids are well grown up and doing their own things, but I really feel for parents now whose children are trapped in these systems and uh, uh, it, it must be one hell of a, a fight to try and get them out of it and get them edu educated, properly educated, not indoctrinated. Um, so I... Was, sorry, I was just going to make a point. Yeah. Um, I know we're talking about education and school and thinking that education really only takes place in this kind of building in these schools and it starts at the age of four or five or whatever it is. But I mean, education actually really starts from um, day one of the child's birth. I mean, it depends... Um, on the entire environment that the child is brought up in. So um, that obviously depends on um, the parents and their own uh, education and their ability and their knowledge. So um, parents who un understand what education really is and knowledge uh, will, will have plenty of books around the house. They'll encourage their children to read, they'll talk to them. The, the whole, well, the first five years before they even start this kind of state education system, that they will already have um, plenty of uh, exposure to all kinds of information and they will have a completely different uh, relationship with their parents because they'll grow up being, um, uh, not regarding them as, as teachers as such, but, but they will learn from them. They'll have, um, hopefully, a certain amount of respect for them. Whereas if they're just kind of, you know, plumped in front of um, televisions and, um, you know, sent out or whatever it is, they, that they'll get a different view of, of life. And um, there is a tendency towards, and I've seen sort of various cases where, uh, or instances where there is a tendency to now towards um, the school system trying to suggest to the children that they do things against their parents' wishes or, or that their parents, if they have certain ideas and ideologies, or that, you know, um, don't listen to them because, you know, we we're telling you the facts that you know we're giving you the information um but if there's a strong um, um sort of uh, sense of what uh, what's what's really going on and there's a strong sense of what uh, education is and how to bring up children from the very early years then those children are less likely to be influenced by what the uh, teaching system is is trying to um, indoctrinate them into sort of brainwash them so Again, it's, it, I mean, sometimes when you look at how the system, the education system's been going for so many years, I mean, it's almost amazing that anybody actually can, 
you know think for themselves anymore and so you know that's fortunately that they have you know plenty of us have been able to sort of see through it yeah um, it's, it's a nasty cycle of abuse don because you have ge- multi-generations that are into this system i you know i was saying last week in that most of our issues here the edu- in the education system included is, is because of the debt economic system we have a low time preference which means we don't have the ability to look towards the future we're constant because of the debt system because of the way the credit system works people have to get a job and keep working so you have the you have the traditional husband who has to go nine to five and work and just send the kids to school and now it's the mom too both going to school thanks to the whole feminism you know revolution of the 70s get them to get them to work get them working too out of the family crush the nuclear fam- family system and get the kids as the daycare, which is a school, and it's a cyclical thing, multi-generation over and over and over again. We so the economic system has to be changed and fixed, so people have a, a long time preference. So we have savings, we have um, we have instead of inflation, we have a deflationary system where we're not stressing on we and we're free to be entrepreneurs and and have our own business, and then we can work from home and we can homeschool our kids. But it's a cycle of abuse where it's like. You, you grew up with your dad and your mom working the whole time and you going to the state school. And then when you, you go to college and you get your nine to five job and then you have your kids and it's the same thing. Right. And it's just like, that's how life is. That's, that's the wonder. So, year. That's literally that show. The wonder. So, year. So, so Dawn, what's it like in great Britain? Is there a growing uh, community of homeschoolers? Um, I, I think there are some. I, I, I don't really know the details. Again, I'm, you know, it's a very, it's a very <laughs> small percentage. Till they, I'm not, not involved with it. We found that the the largest group of homeschoolers in the UK are actually on the Isle of Wight, which uh, people may not be familiar with the geography of the UK. But the Isle of Wight is a tiny, tiny island off the south coast. It happens to be where David Icke lives. I was uh, just going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, there may be good reasons for that, but um, it's a tiny, tiny island, but they've actually got the, the biggest uh, amount of homeschoolers, even though it's a small percentage. And apparently that was because Ofsted, which is a sort of the government-run body that sort of inspects schools, uh, gave all the schools or the majority of the schools in the Isle of Wight a very poor rating. So parents were just taking the children out of school uh, in desperation to try and teach them something. So that's the reason. But it, yeah, it's a fairly low take up, but it's increasing sort of greatly, you know, by the sort of tens of thousands per year. And I think this is the worrying trend to the, for the state. They realise that more and more parents in large numbers are now, even in the UK, which are for the most part fairly docile around most things, and I make no apologies for saying that. Um, so they're actually starting to wake up um, and realise they've got to do something because the system is failing their kids. Um, so, but there's just a few more points. I don't, I don't want to spend the whole time uh, on doom and gloom on, ed, on the education system, but I'm hoping that our conversation is helping people to realise just how important it is um, right from day one when their kids, I mean, yes, what Dawn said is true, of course, at home is important before the children even get to school, but to realise just how loaded against them the education system is, it's training them to be drones, to be worker bees, and to work for the corporations and to just pay taxes and be trapped, as Mike said, in a financial uh, treadmill that they'll never get out of, and that's the golden handcuffs. But as well as 
the state education system sort of uh, indoctrinating the children. People need to be aware, if they're not already, of when they when the kids watch television. And one of the main things that I see a lot of, which seems like harmless fun, and I'll, I'll just quote one thing, and that's the, the Simpsons. I'm sure everyone's seen Homer Simpson. Now, this is quite insidious, and people may think I'm going crazy here, but there are a lot of programs that the kids watch, and many adults as well, very humorous, I agree, but the parents, and particularly the male, is often shown as somewhat of an idiot. And um, I mean, we have something over here which we call advert man. And most of the males in the adverts, whether it's the soap powder or decorating the house or whatever it is, is sort of a bit of an imbecile, rather incompetent and a bit of a fool. So it's hardly surprising then that children grow up starting to disrespect their parents. And as Dawn said, then the teachers in their curriculums can take over and say, well, you know, your parents don't know about these things. Uh, we can put you right. They won't say it in as many words, but that's the implication when the kids are being fed television programs, which always shows the parents as fools, particularly the parents, uh, fathers. And so it's this brainwashing uh, again. And uh, if people look at that and look at how uh, parents and adults are portrayed in many of these things, particularly the ones that young children are watching, uh, they may see to start to see some of these patterns. So it's a very insidious thing of, from the school uh, to television and films. And also, as we know, on the Internet, um, the uh, amount of uh, censorship that's happening. Um, YouTube takes down anyone who says anything uh, sort of uh, controversial to the mainstream narrative uh, soon gets their uh, channel <laughs> dismantled. Um, and then, of course, they've invented these uh, so-called uh, fact-checking organisations, uh, which sort of leap in. Again, it's quite obvious that they're sort of uh, run by, you know, the establishment. And again, if anyone says anything outside the mainstream narrative, you know, they talked as they're told that uh, that's totally untrue and so-called debunked. I hate that word, but that's what they do. As soon as they say the word debunked, everyone thinks, oh, okay, so it's not true. You know, it's a bit like calling someone a conspiracy theorist. A theorist. It's a, a derogatory term, which they feel they don't need to do any more than just stick that name on someone and people will stop listening to them. And for the most part, unfortunately, it works, which is rather sad because, as we said, people are incapable for the majority of critical thought and decide to actually have a look into it themselves. And, so, and also they're funded by the Gates Foundation. <laughs> well, isn't everyone that's, uh, everyone that's not sort of on our side, if you like, seem to be funded well, by the Gates Well, well Don, what do you, I mean, we, and David, Don, but I, you might have an answer to this because kids need entertainment, right? I mean, that's important. But I mean, obviously going outside and, and all that's important. We talk about that all the time. But are, are there things that they can read and wholesome things that watch and stuff that you guys could recommend and that um, have, you know, values and, and aren't just like propaganda? Uh, it's very, very difficult. I mean, there are some, uh, I mean, even in nature programs. <clears throat> and I mean, I'm sure you've all heard of David, David Attenborough. Yeah, you all know David Attenborough. I mean, he's sort of worshipped as a god over in the UK. Um, he's been around forever. He's about 90 years old now. And he, he used to do wildlife programs. Uh, and very good they were too. But he's been sort of co-opted into um, this global warming, or now as they call it, climate change, because they realized they couldn't prove 
<laughs> the planet was actually getting warmer because it's obvious from the science it's actually getting colder so they had to change it from global warming to climate change well no one's going to dispute that the climate changes but they've got david attenborough um the sort of national treasure on board who then is sort of spouting all sorts of ridiculous things about uh, the causes of uh, climate change uh, for, for most of it it tries to be blamed on uh, co2 emissions um from you know householders with their cars or whatever which again is nonsense i mean anyone who looks into it realizes that co2 is a very necessary thing uh, plants love it without it they all die and uh, you know when you look at the science um and realize that the al gore so-called hockey stick graph that he put out all those years ago is a complete load of nonsense a complete fabrication um but i won't go into all of that now but they bring on what i'm saying is they bring on these so-called national treasures who everyone knows because he's been around for so long and everyone loves him because he's always talked lots of nice things and shown people you know wild monkeys and giraffes and elephants and things and so you know he's a very cuddly type of uh, uh guy to interview and then suddenly he's starting to get political and and starts to put forward the mainstream narrative about various things of which really he's not an expert in but people don't realize that and just go away well if david attenborough said it it must be true and they do this a lot yeah. so people need to watch out for it because i'm sure it's a trap that happens over in the states it happens everywhere and they and they and it's a very contrived and uh, thing they the people that do this they know very well what they're doing and that's why they get these so-called celebrities to start putting out this false narrative that people fall for but then they bring in children or youngsters you know like the whole Greta Thunberg thing um and that again is is another aspect of uh, how they discredit parents or older people that they get the youngsters and of course these youngsters know everything about everything um when um you know to be honest they they don't they're only you know in their teenage years they're only at the beginning of the uh, learning journey should we say um and yet you know uh, she's given all this publicity i mean that there's a lot behind all of that um but again it's just another example of um young people being given the um or people being given the impression that young people know more than adults where um you know we're talking about inf what information you know we have information it doesn't turn into knowledge until you actually do something with it but it doesn't become wisdom until there's um, a, a lot more that, that goes into that process to become wisdom. And I'm not saying, oh, you know, just because we're older that, you know, we're wise. I don't mean that at all, but it Although takes, we well, it, 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 takes, <laughs> it takes time, it takes processes, it takes learning to develop uh, an understanding of the data and what that actually means. And, but also how to look at what people are saying and, you know, utilizing logic, common sense, being able to listen to what some, oh, and that's another thing, yes, being able to listen. The ability to listen seems to be lost. Um, people are always kind of, you know, it's, it's sound bites, in and out, lots of bits and pieces, and don't have conversations where people get to express their ideas and they think about things and deliberate. It all seems to be, like you were saying before, everything's rushed, including the thought processes. So. We get there's lots and lots of aspects that are all kind of piled in together and it just becomes a mess but anyway yes you're about to say something as you, mike as you well, mentioned earlier go sorry, on, go sorry. On. well i was just going to say on that point 
be, be, I was talking about this once again this weekend. It's like oh, so much for this weekend. But kids these days, when I was a kid in the 80s, I had a lot of boredom time where I was out in my backyard playing, right? But it was like introspective. It was like I was in my imagination. I was thinking. I, was, I wasn't distracted. Kids these days, it's like parents, give them the tablet. Give them the thing. They're constantly in this like stimulus, right? And they don't have that introspection. They're not listening to themselves. They're not listening to their own inner voice anymore. So anyways, David, what were you going to say? Uh, yeah, I was, uh, I sort of lost my train of thought there, but, uh, uh, yes, it's, it's, they lose the ability for creative thought quite right. What you say, because they have no, no introspection. Uh, they have no real creativity. It's all forced upon them. It's, uh, even the sort of out of school activities it's uh you know well we'll go to ballet lessons we'll go to a sports day we'll go play soccer we'll go and do boxing we'll go and do and parents are they're, they're all organized by adults and there's no sort of imagination time for children so slowly slowly um they lose that ability they are waiting for the next bit of stimulus you know usually from a piece of electronic equipment or the television, um, and there's no game playing anymore. There's not the uh, the social interaction and the imagination between other children. You know, in in our days, you know, you'd probably form a little gang. You know, and you'd go out into the woods and you'd make catapults and build camps, and it, it's all coming from your own imagination. And that doesn't happen anymore. You know, it just doesn't happen. And there's all sorts of excuses made as to why it doesn't happen. Oh, well, we're afraid that uh, there's going to be a paedophile around the corner or some excuse. You know, well, there's ways to do these things. But the kids are never uh, allowed to make things up for themselves and play. And that's a great detriment. And of course, with this COVID nonsense, where they're actively keeping families apart, they're keeping uh, this social interaction down to an absolute minimum, and if you do get to socialize with someone, you want to wear some hideous mask or something. I mean, obviously Dawn and I flatly refuse to do any of that. And we sort of uh, uh, wait for people to challenge us when we go out and in the shops or whatever. And strangely enough, no one does. Maybe maybe I just look too big and ugly or something, but they just leave, leave us alone and uh, don't challenge us. So, um, but most people don't, you know, they, they're terrified. And they I just sit in completely bemused by all these people work wearing masks all the time, even where in places where they the little regulations don't even tell them to. Uh, it's still in the UK at the moment. You don't need to wear a mask, according to the government. You don't need to wear a mask in the street. Only when you go into a building. Okay, but there's vast amounts of people that are wearing masks in the street. So they're making their own rules up and putting masks on when no one's actually told them to, um, which just makes the whole thing even worse. Uh, and, you know, you feel like going up to people and saying, why are you wearing that? You know, no one's told you you've got to wear it in the street. But, you know, I haven't time for all of that, of course, when there's hundreds of people doing it. So, so. It, it is a very sad, it is a very sad thing. And uh, why, I've spent quite a lot of time talking about how people are educated and where all this information is coming from. And the way that the uh, establishment has taken control of education right from day one when kids go to school through everything they hear see on the television and the way they're distracted as you say and they've taken away all of those joys of life of growing up for children 
to develop imagination and creativity. And it comes out in language as well, as Dawn was saying, you know, you get text speak, you know, so, or, or on Twitter, you know, you can't even form a proper sentence on that. I mean, I don't use it, of course, but uh, it, you know, <laughs> no one could write something, you know, if you wanted children to write a, a meaningful essay about something, I think most of them wouldn't have a clue, you know, uh, unless they could download something from Wikipedia, you know, they, they, they have no creativity no poetry in their life you know it's it's, they even it's ironed read, out do they even read books anymore i mean you know with all the lockdown you think you know everyone's got plenty of time on their hands um but i wonder how many people have been reading more books hopefully a few of them but uh, you know it's it's a great opportunity to to really study and learn um does, but do people read books and i mean well i'd like to think some people read books but there's a, um, there's but, a, yeah there's a note of warning i'd like to mention about books uh, because i see it a an upcoming danger where because i know google said this some years ago that their idea their dream if you like they wanted to have all books digitized okay now you can see where that's going to go can't you you know if normal hardback hard copy books start to disappear and you've only got digital versions of everything it's so easy for that to be tampered with no matter what the author put in it or what the you know the original writer it can be tampered with and so you can see where that's going so it's something to really to watch out for particularly as google are involved in it yeah. I, I an example i um uh, sorry it might be a bit sad i was looking at a, a charles dickens book i've i had them in the past but uh, i was kind of thinking oh it'd be nice to actually have physical books and i i was looking at a, a, a review of one of them and somebody uh, one of the reviews said that it can't have been an original because somewhere in the early state it was actually one of my favorite books i think it's bleak house but um uh, where there was a reference to something to do with video games so that's it i mean there's no way that charles dickens would have exactly um so that's exactly well that's an example of, of what david's saying that you know they've started to edit charles dickens which which to me is just dreadful because you know, I mean, and again, that's this kind of literature that people say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's all too long. There's too much description. But I mean, that's where you get the essence of the times and you get the real sense of how people lived by reading um, those paragraphs. I mean, I, I know, you know, maybe he had his own sort of uh, biases or whatever, but you still get a sense of how people lived and, and you get pulled into what was going on and you really get a sense of it but by, by these long as some people say boring descriptive um paragraphs but um you know you, you can actually well we learned quite a lot about how people lived in in the 19th century in, in this country through his books you know the poverty but also how um well, even, the, well, what, the, well what they yes exactly that yeah. was the point what they ate you know their diet because the quite descriptive of uh, the, you know what um, the people were eating and how they were so poor that they could you know they're only eating a sort of bit of bread and occasionally they could afford a bit of meat or something because you know back then that was thought to be um what people ate but it it, it really gave us quite an insight in, into the diet of, of those times so again uh, not just a piece of fiction not just a story there's so much more but also you get the sense of the language you know the english language and, and the um, you know, the depth and the vocabulary by, well, by reading. And the, and the cultural matrix of the entire era. And, you know, kids used to read Dickens when they were like seven, six, seven, eight. 
now most high school students couldn't read Dickens. It, they don't have the, the, the concentration mm -hmm. for it. It's there's a time in America where, you know, first of all, you had the family dinner. That doesn't happen anymore. You know, I grew up with that. And uh, at dinner time, you'd actually kind of stand up when it was your turn with the rest of the kids and have to recite uh, classical literature of some type. And uh, then you'd sit down and then your brother would take their turn. And, you know, that was kind of common. And uh, there's a, a very well-known example from a school in Kansas in the 1800s. They have uh, posted a, an exit exam for eighth graders, um, 1800s. And the vast majority of not just college graduates, but graduate students in college can't even come close to passing that exam anymore. It's incredible. I actually took it myself. Um, but kids were smart. That was eighth grade level. But so as we're having our discussion here, I'm beginning to suspect that maybe uh, education should be considered when we ask the question, what makes us ill? Well, yes. You know, I mean, as we know, uh, with the sort of uh, present system uh, of education or lack of it as we know proper education and it, it definitely is part of what makes us ill and it's certainly got to contribute to uh, the high rates of depression um, and the high rates of suicide I think it was Dr Andy Kaufman who said he sees that the suicide rate in America is something like 30 percent you know now you know that's horrendous that is horrendous and you know it's going up in the UK as well I don't know what the percentage is but I know it's increased substantially from uh, very reliable sources that I have um, on that um, so yeah people are not able to cope uh, with the situation uh, I mean I know it's pretty dire because of you know the separation and all the rest of it but I, I think their mental faculties uh, fail them to be able to see a way out to be able to uh think critically and to think uh, what can i do about this they just give up and the easy way out is well i'll take my own life which is a very sad thing anyway of course <laughs> but I, I i think it's that's all part of it so this lack of education proper education has a lot to answer for and uh, not only sort of setting up the slaves for the next generation and i'll call them that because that's what they make us all if if we let them um but they get people are going to be much more easily controlled um which is exactly uh what the, the state wants and i know it all sounds like some sort of conspiracy theory and, uh, and it is a conspiracy but it's certainly not a theory this is what's happening and the evidence is there to show that it's happening and the reasons for why it's happening and uh coming right back to where i started uh including in our last uh, conversation is is why doctors think the way they do and can't see their way out of this situation because of how they're trained and why the whole world is in the situation that it's in now because there are not enough critical thinkers to have rejected this right from the first day that they tried to perpetrate it on us and so people just go along with it but anyway Having said that and spent quite a lot of time talking about education, I, I wanted to sort of move on to a little bit, something that's in our book, but that we haven't, I don't think, talked about in any depth. And education does play a part in it, but I'm looking at the sort of part of the medical 
system, which is dentistry. Okay, now <clears throat> obviously dentists go through this <clears throat> regimented uh, indoctrination in the same way as uh, MDs do. And you know, I was quite surprised, well, not really, to see that uh, the vast majority of dentists have no idea what's in the uh, amalgam fillings that they stick in people's mouths, you know. Um, they don't know quite what all the materials are, and they have no idea what impact those toxic materials, toxic metals really, are. Now, I think most people probably are aware that in amalgam fillings, you know, mercury's in them for a start, uh, but there's also copper, tin, silver and zinc. Um, and with a 50% liquid elemental mercury. This is what's in amalgam fillings. Now, you think if ever you wanted to put a cocktail of toxic, toxic metals together, you know, that would be it. But then to actually put them in people's mouths, you think, you know, if you'd never heard this before, you'd think, oh, this is some sort of joke. You know, you're, surely you're not going to put that in yeah. people's mouths. Which is, which is proof that um, uh, doctors have lost the capacity to discern. Uh, you know, if you take the amount of mercury in one silver filling, which they still use in some offices, and you put that in a 10-acre lake in America, the EPA would have to close it down and consider it contaminated. Then the same dentist, you know, will say, oh, well, it's safe because it's bound in silver. It's like, well, in high school chemistry, do you ever remember something called half-life, which means, you know, in about 10, 15 years, all the mercury is going to vaporize into your system anyway? I mean... It's so incredible. And, you know, we're talking about doctor's education, and that goes across the board. It's not just medical doctors. You know, I, I did a medical certification at a conventional medical school first, and then I went through naturopathic and then chiropractic college. And when I did my boards, you, you passed, you had to, you know, be responsible for the same equipment, I mean, the same information across the board, uh, you know, at all three schools. So it's all been standardized. So the average nature path out there is doing, you know, has, is in the same box. And maybe the only difference is they'll throw some herbs at you and do things a little bit less toxic, but it's the same misinformation, uh, the same superstitions, and they keep people in the same fearful mindset. So, um, you know, we have a lot to clean up in alternative medicine as well, especially in, a, in alternative medicine, because we should know better. Yeah, I mean, so... So what we've got with, uh, just to continue with dentistry, is that they're still putting these toxic materials into people's mouths. And I remember once sort of, I've spoken over the years uh, briefly to several dentists and sort of uh, challenged them with this uh, as to why anyone ever thought that was a good idea. And obviously they get very cross about it and, uh, you know, almost chase you out of the surgery. So it's... Um, you know, not something to mention to a dentist while you're sat in his chair. I would recommend that's not a good idea <laughs> while he's drilling in your teeth if you uh, ask him why uh, he thinks it's a good idea to put mercury in your mouth. He's liable to pull all your teeth out. Uh, no, I guess. But um, it's just incredible that, as I say, most dentists don't know this. Now, we, as part of our sort of studies on all of this, we spend quite a bit of time looking at dentistry, of course, and the toxins that are used. And the techniques and we came across some quite interesting information uh not least of which was to realize that there is no safe level of mercury you know as you 
say bear, you know, they'll try and tell you, oh, it's very small, there's not really much at all, and then it's probably all gone in no time. Well, that's just not true. There is no safe level, and you've got that in your mouth. But one of the really interesting things, which, and as an electrical engineer, I'd not considered it before, and until it, like, it becomes obvious once you know about it, that you've got all these, you've got these dissimilar metals, okay, in your mouth with an electrolyte, which is your saliva. So effectively, you've got a little battery in each of your teeth, wherever you've got an amalgam filling. And, the, and this is absolutely true. And these little batteries are putting out an electrical charge, which actually starts to interfere, it's in your mouth, is interfering with your brain, you know, and the very delicate circuitry. And this is something that most people are either not aware of or don't take into consideration. And what I can see, certainly, apart from, you know, that's just not a good thing anyway, I think the growing number of people who report tinnitus, for instance, you know, this whistling in the ear, um, much of it is probably due to these little electric batteries, and think of them as that, because that's exactly what they are, putting out an electrical charge in your mouth. So not only have you got the toxins leaking into your system on a regular basis, every time you have a drink or anything you've got these electrical charges sort of uh, disrupting your brain <laughs> circuitry so that that was quite surprising and of course it became obvious to me as a medical engineer once i looked at it, it became obvious um but another there was one of the dentists that uh, whose book we got i think it was a dr huggins was it yeah. uh, uh, he wrote a book with a, along with an md about uh, sort of, I think I can't remember the name of Uninformed it. consent. Uninformed consent, that's the one. Recommend it to have a look at. Scare mm. the life out of you, but uh, you'll never go near a dentist again. But there's quite an interesting case study that I read that he'd done where a young lady, a child, I, I think she was about 11, was brought to his surgery um, for some dental work and uh, she'd been diagnosed with leukemia. Okay. And he got permission from the parent to take all her amalgam fillings out, which they allowed him to do. And then he wanted her to be tested. And sure enough, her leukemia had disappeared. And the authorities said, oh, well, that's just a fluke. You know, you know, it's some sort of remission thing or something. And he said, no, no, you know, it, it, it's not. And to prove it, he said, and he did this, he put the fillings back. And sure enough, her leukemia came back so happy ending to the story he did take them back out again and uh, so she was okay but that's quite surprising i found that something like childhood leukemia could be directly related to the amalgam fillings in a mouth and he i mean to me that's quite a conclusive proof you can take them out it goes you put them back and it comes back again so i think dent dentistry needs much closer examination and i'm sort of we talk about this in our book of course so i'm only giving a sort of a, a bit of a sketch over this but it's uh, one is a, it's a great source of uh, very poisonous toxins into your body and uh, from an electrical point of view it can be causing all sorts of problems that no one's been able to trace as to what it is and it'll obviously vary with different people uh, and it could be all down to your amalgam fillings um, so something to bear in mind. I know a lot of people have, uh, over the years, have been aware of the dangers of amalgam fillings, of course, and they, just from the point of view of wanting the mercury taken out of their mouths.
Now, <clears throat> to do this is a very tricky job, and not just any dentist can do it. They've got to have real special equipment to be able to make sure that as they're taking that stuff out, it's not just all getting ingested. And so you just get a big overdose of mercury uh, while you're in the dentist chair. So it, it is a very tricky thing. But of course, some of the things that they then replace the uh, amalgam fillings with, which are then not mercury, but uh, some of the uh, other stuff that they put in in its place, uh, when you look into it, is is almost, as, I say almost, as toxic. So it's uh, a very uh, tricky and can be a very expensive exercise to try and sort it out. Um, so it's, I just wanted to sort of put that up as a bit of a warning, for again, for people to be aware of that, uh, because we've often talked, we talk a lot in the book as to where the various toxins can come from that are poisoning people's yeah. bodies. And people don't often think about their amalgam fillings. So that's the reason I, I sort of wanted to mention that. Um, and particularly this, the strange case of the child's leukemia coming and going just by removing the amalgam fillings. Yeah. And, and None of the interesting... Sorry, no, you go, Don. Go ahead. No, no, all I was going to say is just sort of a, as an amusing aside that they started using um, mercury. Um, and, uh, sorry, they replaced um, what they were using before mercury was lead. They were using lead in people's teeth. It was just, you know, so it's just replacing one um, toxin for another. But it's just the idea, oh, well, you know, mercury is better than lead. And it was just it was just that thought, just how much um, poison is used in the name of um so-called health and it, it just goes back so many um hundreds of years that you know the whole idea of poisoning the body and with the idea that you can produce health is is just it's a fundamental problem and that that idea has to be taken away from uh, any anybody who who wants to kind of uh, improve their health you have to stop the poisons mm -hmm. so there was just that point yeah. about you know with lead so yeah they don't they don't they don't have a very good track record is really what we're saying in uh, <laughs> uh in dentistry yeah so you're going to say something and i was just going to comment in my practice years um you know we work very closely with the biological dentist because very often you know we had a neurological based system where we could you know follow everything to its conclusion and and uh, very often it led to the teeth and so we would have to, you know, we actually were in pioneering circles of a lot of these uh, ways to safely remove it because you don't just want to remove it all at once. There's a proper way to do it. Otherwise, you risk greater exposure and it might even be better to let sleeping dogs lie. But mm -hmm. isn't it, uh, the other comment I'd say is not only is it a poisoning uh, to your physiology, but it's also an assault on your psyche. You know, we have an innate intelligence at the cellular level. And when our body, our ecosystem is being flooded with those, mercury is probably the second most toxic substance on the planet. So when we're being assaulted in our internal systems with that kind of substance, there's something else that's going on at the psyche. You know, that's it's considered warfare. And the psyche will then trigger, this is what we talk about in New German medicine, biological responses that then we call cancer and leukemia and everything. But when the assault is abated and you, you know, uh, balance the bioterrain, then, uh, you know, diseases like what you're referring to, leukemia, goes away. 
And, you know, just in, in my 40 plus years of practice, I saw once very rare uh, neurological uh, afflictions like ALS and MS and Alzheimer's all of a sudden rise to epidemic proportions. And it's astounding to me that the response of the medical profession is to not even look at, well, what happened between then and now? It's like, well, we have some new promising drugs for Alzheimer's. You know, hey, that's it. What could go wrong, you know, if we just poison you more with some kind of crap that doesn't even account for the reason why we got there in the first place? It's off the wall ludicrous. And um, yeah, I just say, you know, to all the doctors out there, get a clue. <laughs> Because uh, you're betraying people's trust and you're, you're being disingenuous yeah. in the practice of healthcare, period, yeah. if you're doing that kind of garbage still. Yeah, otherwise you're like me. I haven't been to a dentist in 20 years, 20 years when I found out about this. And I still have my, <laughs> my retainer in from when I was in high school because of that. So <laughs> it's like, and I don't try to tell my kids that because, you know, you tell the kids, you take care of your teeth, go to this. We've, we've got a good kind of hybrid natural dentist children's dentist we go up to in grants pass but anyways 20 years because it's, i haven't been able to really they're hard to find bear they're hard to find like a good natural dentist yeah pretty much the same in the uk because uh, they just think uh, you're cranky you know you're some sort of cranky if you would want to even bring these things up you know or suggest <laughs> it as i say in dentists in particular will hate you you know, uh, if you even suggest such things. I don't know whether it's from a guilty conscience where they really know that putting these toxic substances into people's mouths and charging them lots of money for it, whether it's a guilty conscience on their part or whether they... Uh, it, it's uh, their training. It's yeah. back to where we started from. It's back to what, their what they're trained. They're, that's what they're trained. That's what they believe. They're the experts. So they can play golf and hang out with their buddies on the weekend. You know, that's like the classic dentist, right? Yeah. It's like yeah. driving their, their Mercedes and playing golf and just yeah. like they, they, they just know that's a job to make good money at. And speaking of the mental assaults, uh, I'm not going to, I don't know how you pronounce your name in here on the chat, but she said, Kittle, as Barry is speaking right now, I'm reminded of the assault from receiving fluoride treatment as a teen. I still recall the panic I felt. Remember that? You go in for your fluoride treatment? I mean, literally going in to get poisoned. It's wild. Uh, do, do you, uh, in the States, just out of interest, do you have uh, the water authorities? Do they put fluoride in your drinking water? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, that gets into more conspiracy fact, which is they know very well what it does. And it's, you know, uh, it's not just creating cancers and things like that in your body, but it's calcifying your pineal, shutting you off from larger bandwidths that would actually allow you uh, to have critical thought and maybe connect with spirit in the first place. So, you know, it's just an orchestrated assault on all fronts including altering our dna with the vaccines and everything to shut us off from our humanity and that's the end game and yeah. they're well on their way right now yeah there yes. was a big case there and i i don't know what happened with it uh i think rfk jr might have even been involved with it um matt belair was sharing it with me and during the summertime there was a big case uh to stop fluoridization uh, and it was from the Fluoride Action Network or whatever, Bear, who I know you're familiar with. And they had, uh, it, went, it was going to the appellate court. 
uh, so it got, it was moving forward and it was supposed to go um, get pushed in late August and now we're in October. So I'm wondering what happened with that, but it was to stop fluoridation in the United States. Uh, my town does not fluoridate our water here um, that we that we pull out of the river here. So um, it de depends where you are too in the United States where you live um, and you can have jurisdiction over your town if you have enough pressure on your local water. Um, there are towns that uh, do not fluoridate, the floor, uh, put fluoride in the water. But for the most part in the United States, uh, it is still prevalent. Yeah. And just one last comment about fluoride is naturally occurring trace element fluoride in the soil, which is a necessary trace element, is much different than fluoride that's a byproduct of uh, the aluminum industry, which they used to have to bury in landfills as toxic waste. And now it's like, hey, let's sell it to municipalities for millions of dollars. And we don't even have to dispose of it and let's put it in people's bodies. So I, yeah. I, did, I did just get word that the fluoride case has been put on hold and the Fluoride Action Network has to redo the case. Um, I'll get more information out to the community on that because that was a really big thing this summer um, for that. And that's just an example of people finally waking up and taking action. And of course, Bear and I talk about this all the time. Get out of that jurisdiction altogether. Get, get more you know, in tune with your locality and start pressure on your local water systems, your local municipal systems. But um, that is a great sign that it's on a national level that there's awareness coming and there's actually like a case uh, uh, trying to set legal precedent there. So anyways, yeah. go ahead. But it's, uh, it, it's the fluoride thing. We won't dwell on it too much, but it, the fluoride thing is yet another example of how uh, the corporations and through their sort of bribery and corruption were able to uh, convince uh, the governments that uh, fluoride was good for people and, uh, and generate this myth that it's going to uh, protect you too. And even though there's been countless amount of uh, scientific documents to show that that just is not true, you know, fluoride is a neurotoxin, that can be proved, um, but there's no proof to show that it strengthens your teeth in any way. That's a complete fiction. And yet they're still getting away with it. And uh, so it's, it's yet another thing if people think, well, how does, how does this COVID thing work? You know, why would the government lie to us? And why would they continue it? Well, have a look at fluoride then, you know? Um, they've lay, you know, they've landed that on most of the world, and uh, with no scientific evidence, uh, just some good uh, marketing by certain corporations, and the governments have done nothing to stop it. In fact, anyone who tries to resist it um, gets jumped on from a great height. So, uh, and here we are. I mean, what was it in the 1920s when they first started? Um, as you say, Bear, quite right. It used to be clusters of toxic waste, which is what it is. It was killing farmers' cattle because it was leaked into the water supplies. And, um, you know, they, there was various legal cases against them. And somehow they've managed to switch that from being prosecuted for polluting the earth to uh, selling it to people and selling it to government for money. Um, I mean, it's amazing, amazing. So, you know, there's some good parallels to, uh, to draw just from looking at how that sort of... Uh, fiction was perpetrated on humanity and uh, here we are with yet another one you know with covid uh, no science to it and uh, it been perpetrated and causing all sorts of harm and misery they did a similar um, advertising campaign with ddt didn't they it was you know it's good for you so you know and they were spraying it on everyone who was supposed to you know 
be yeah. brilliant and and yet again proven to be you know highly toxic um except of course they're now saying oh well we need to bring it back to uh you know um to be able to control malaria so they're spraying everyone uh, i mean it wasn't banned entirely around the world so some places still carried on using it unfortunately um, but no ddt is back in fashion because oh we've got to kill those nasty mosquitoes because they're carrying anyway that's a whole other topic we can get into but uh, you know they here comes Sorry? polio. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, um, you know, DDT, uh, um, organochlorines, they're um, neurotoxins, and no surprise that people are paralysed. So, yeah. you know, it's, and, and they call it polio and then say it's a virus. It's, it's you know, such a common playbook. It's been used time and time again, you know, for, well, decades, decades. Yeah. What really makes us ill? Corporations, evil corporations. I mean, that's that simple. The lies, yeah. There's, um, I, I mean, I, I know we we obviously hammer the medical establishment, and obviously quite rightly so, for the sort of lies that are perpetrated on people. And I just wanted to, I'm just looking at something here, where, and this was uh, people may have heard of the Lancet. It's a medical journal. It's the most prestigious medical journal in the UK. And uh, they, they published uh, an editorial. I think it was only, I'm looking, yeah, 2009, so not that long ago. And they were talking about uh, medical research. Uh, and uh, they'd said that about $160 billion uh, is spent every year on biomedical research. Okay, $160 billion. Okay. Uh, and they say, this is their quote, uh, but this huge level of expenditure is far from cost effective. And the editorial refers to a 2009 study article whose authors estimate that 85% of research is wasteful or inefficient. So 85% of $160 billion. Okay. So and then, someone, uh, someone's paying. And meanwhile, them. they have the rest of us out here doing walkathons and wearing bandanas and doing cupcake sales to raise money for their research for the war on cancer. Yeah, I mean, they laugh their asses off at us because they can't they must, believe how they must be. we are. You, you can see why people uh, refer to the, the masses as useless eaters. You know, it was Kissinger, I think, uh, Henry Kissinger, who sort of coined that phrase. And you can see in that the utter contempt that they have for humanity um, and why they think they should reduce the population of the world to, what is it, 500 million? from the sort of roughly 8 billion that there is now, you know, so Hitting what's that? 95% yeah. reduction in the population. Um, horrendous. Uh, and it, it sounds like a joke, but these people are serious, you know. Um, and th this is some of the things that we, <laughs> we try to get people to wake up to, you know, before it's too late. Because that's what this is, that's what's going on at the moment. That's what this is all in aid of, to really kind of ramp up the agenda and move it a lot faster, except um, we're hoping, and we certainly hope that uh, it's actually, um, they've taken it too far and too fast uh, because they've been so ridiculous that it's enabled a lot of people to say, hang on a minute, there's something going on here. And hopefully more and more people are starting to look at it, um, but they need to you know, do so a little bit more quickly and to stop believing in these organizations because um, you know, it's certainly moving along at a pace. And, you know, there is various talk of uh, second waves and all these other things coming down the pipe. And, um, uh, you know, th this has to be resisted. I mean, I know 
in the UK, they're starting to clamp down a little bit more in certain parts of the country, in, in the sort of north and in Scotland. Um, but they reckon that this nasty virus is, is on its way further south. So, you know, um, we could be next, as it were, because we're, we're in the sort of south of the UK. Um, well, but how, how come, how, how the virus, how they explain that the virus only affects certain pockets of the country, just, you know. In such they, a small well, country as yes, the it, UK. Yes, it is it's a small, small country. And, you know, they don't offer explanations. Um, but so few people question it. And again, this is this is all part of it. Why aren't more people questioning it? Why aren't more people saying that doesn't make sense? I, I think they are. But, you know, we need to they, get ramp it up and get it, get it, get, get it out there more quickly. Get more people to stop believing in these authorities and to start seeing that there is a real problem and start listening to people who are who have spent a long time looking at it. And who are aware of what's going on, even if they haven't got the right letters after their name. I mean, it's you know, it stays within this this topic of education. You know, just because you haven't got the right kind of, you know, whatever it is, the um, well, we, we uh, often, you know, BS, etc. I must write down what you said there, Bear. That was really that was yes, hilarious. Yeah. Yes. Um, but um, yeah, we often get thrown at us about uh, peer-reviewed papers, you know, which we often throw back and show. To them where are the peer-reviewed papers for uh, this covid uh, which they can't produce uh, but they'll often say to us well where are your peer-reviewed papers but we say well it's not up to us to disprove it it's for you to prove it you know the person who puts forward the theory uh, the onus is on them to prove it you know and you haven't been able to prove that either this virus or any other virus has actually been as we say you know properly isolated purified meets all of cox postulates and um has been proved to actually be the cause of the virus and disease. Uh, the, sorry the disease yeah. um, and we know and you've probably seen it too there's been several papers I think there's about six now that have been circulated around <clears throat> that claim to have done this and I think you may have talked to Dr Andy Kaufman about it uh, which are all quite fraudulent you know uh, the abstracts may say that they've done all these things, but when you look into the methodology, they haven't. And, and to me, that just shows a, a new level of uh, contempt that the mainstream has and a new level of uh, fraud <laughs> that they are, are perpetrating um, on the public to try and make them think that, uh, no, there are scientific papers now that prove that this virus is real. Well, they don't. And anyone who takes the time to have a look at these papers We'll see that. The CDC uh, admitted it in July that uh, they didn't have the SARS-CoV-2 virus. It wasn't available. It has never been purified. You're right. And it's even in their own documents. It's, yeah. it's, but, but, but people aren't educated enough to go read that. Stuff. They, <laughs> no. just, they just want to turn on their TV and be told what, you know, to be afraid so that they can be, feel good that mama and data government have their best interests for them. And, you know, it's just... Uh, the free thinkers out there come together. We, we got, we're, we're doing it. We're all coming together and we're creating the new future we want to see. And we're just going to break off and go do our own thing. That's what yeah. we're all about because I've given up on them. I don't, I, I, I look, I go in after this event on this weekend, I like came out of our miraculous little community of 300 people that weren't wearing masks or hugging and loving and being normal and, and like coming up with all these amazing solutions. And then I like go to the, 
second gas station, everyone's in masks and like this. And I just smile at them. I just mm-hmm. smile at them and I just kind of, you know, and if they say something to me, like, you know, nobody ever does, but if I, I think one person so far has, I just go, do I look like I could ever be sick? Look at me. Am I a sick person? Am I going to make you sick? How could you even think I'm sick? I never get sick. You want to know why? Because I don't live in fear and I, and I think for myself and I just hit them with all this like abundant truth and positivity. And they're like, uh, 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 and then you, I go away. And that's all we got to do. And we just spread the love and we spread the happiness. And I really think the light will just outshine the darkness. Maybe I'm just a crazy optimist who's stuck in my own fantasy. It has to be. I mean, it has to be. Um, And I think that's why um, the, well, I don't think I know that's why. I mean, when they were doing, you know, this sort of dry run that they did back in October 2019, you know, event 201. I'm sure most people are familiar with it, uh, where they set out exactly what they were going to do, you know, even where it was going to come from this virus in Wuhan, you know, and then literally just a few months down the line, here we are, we got it, you know, it's all here. But one of the interesting points in that, you know, when they were going through their scenario was their uh, appreciation that they were going to have to get complete control of the media, okay, which of course, that's exactly what they've done, you know, and it's almost 24-7 bombarding with uh, uh, propaganda about uh, the spread of coronavirus and how many people are supposed to have died, you know. Um, So they did, you know, they planned it and they're doing it. And also the suppression of any um, adverse comments or any alternative views, you know. They knew they were going to get them and they knew that they would have to make sure that they stopped it. And of course, that again is exactly what they were doing. So, you know, anyone who cares to look, uh, and it, it may still be on the internet, I don't know, can see the plan that they were put had put together and then see that they're actually now operating it, you know? Uh, and if people are not suspicious by that, then, you know, we, <laughs> we really are going to have yeah. a real job waking the majority of them up. Okay. Cause it, the information- it, might surprise, uh, it might surprise people also that this has been going on for centuries Mm. And it was somewhere in the Middle Ages where the early alchemists, who are true scientists actually, and they understood the electrical vectors that create our universe and ourselves and our role, you know, in uh, manipulating those on our own to create our own world. They understood that sort of thing. They called it alchemy. Of course, we went down the whole reductionist road of, you know, bringing us into the superstition of materialism. But to leave this on a, on a more positive note, You know, there are some of us in circles that are working at that level now, but going beyond what people used to think of as alchemy, kind of like a quasi metaphysical sort of thing. No, we're, um, we're measuring these vectors. We're learning how to manipulate them and bend them so that they will regain their normal symmetry and, you know, which causes all the things downstream. So all of these discussions that we're having in, in our circles now are valuable in that we're, you know, talking about different, um, maybe alternative explanations of germ theory and that sort of thing. But the discussion really needs to be elevated to the next level because what we're here debating about is way downstream from the stuff they really don't want us to um, know about. And the fact is, is we are already doing these things that allow people to work upstream and to uh, not only heal their bodies and improve every facet of their life, but at the same time, 
um, make them impervious to all these things that are being thrown at us. Because if you're masterful on that level, then all these other things uh, will not be able to touch you. But if our, of course, belief system mindset is here on the ground where they want us to be, then, then we're sitting ducks. So there's a lot of positive things happening. Of course, when you get into those discussions, you lose even more of the population that says, wow, you're really whacked out. But the yeah. fact is, is we're not only doing it, we're proving it. And more and more people are waking up to this. And, and you know, what we're really into here is a spiritual war as far as uh, I'm concerned. And these things that I'm alluding to in other areas of elevated science is we're now being able to measure what we used to call spiritual and technologically assist our ability to align with those so-called spiritual forces so that now uh, all these things that we're discussing, you know, that the, the doctors and the governments and everything doing, they just evaporate from the mist. And like, uh, like Mike is saying, you know, he's not really vulnerable to a lot of the things as a regular population. Well, that's about to hit critical mass now. And, and I really think these people are on their last legs that are, you know, perpetuating all these mythologies and they know it. And that's why they're doing very desperate, desperate things right now. So I think, you know, within that context, we can feel a little bit more positive because man, if you, if you look and you know, everything that we're talking about here so far, it's, it's depressing. And then you look at what they've done to our children and oh, that's the next generation. Do we even have a chance? But yeah, we have more than a chance and it's already happened. The cat's out of the bag. You can't put it back in. I, I agree with you entirely. I mean, um, I, I know you started to move more into the sort of metaphysical explanations of what reality really is and what we as beings are. And of course, uh, Many years ago, Dawn and I put a little book together, which is still around on the internet about the nature of reality. And of course, we talk about the true level of reality. Uh, it's only a small book, only about 150 pages. So, because we condensed it down to make it easily understandable as much as we could. And so it's because of our understanding of reality, I guess pretty much like yours there, and know that uh, we operate on a much more powerful level than the so-called physical which is an illusion in itself but which is the only thing that can give us optimism to know that uh, this is a critical point that's been brought about for a, a reason and that we're in it for a reason and uh, are, are going to be able to make that change because you can't write for centuries the old system has been around you know of uh, the people are basically a little better than slaves to a very small minority of people who have all the wealth and power. And it's been like that for a very, very long time. And now it's come to this critical point. And that's why I once said, I think it was maybe in our last meeting, I've certainly said it before, where I borrowed some of Charles Dickens' words about it being the best of times and the worst of times. You know, on the physical level, it looks like it's the worst of times, but it's the best of times because we have a very critical point now, a real opportunity to bring this old system down, you know, and I'm not talking about some war or something, it's a, it's a non-violent way, but the system will collapse because of people like ourselves who know how this reality works and know that it all starts off in so-called consciousness before it seems to materialize in what we think of as the physical world. 
uh, well, that we'd need to go into much deeper levels, I think, probably for uh, some of you listeners. But um, but part, but sharing the information with other people is is part of um, expanding it out into um, what we see as um, reality. It's 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 all part of um, helping everything improve. So you know we could. Um, stay within our own sort of unit and, and uh, improve things, but that it, you need it's to see enough. it. You need to see it out out there, as it were. I know this, um, <laughs> you get caught up in language again, um, but it's all part of how how we operate. And by operating in this reality, it's it you we interact with other people, and so we want other people to to share the same freedom. That, that we're feeling so it's it's sharing the information to help people share the freedom we, if, it, if that makes sense we work on multiple levels as, <laughs> yes, I'm, as I'm sure you yes. know that you know, well, so that's it, yeah and uh, you know because yeah we were, I, I won't go into it too deeply but we work on multiple levels and because of these other levels that we we know is our true nature and it's the true nature of everyone it's just most people don't realize it so they don't know how to operate on those levels but for the people that do is where the optimism can come from that this old world idea uh, can change. I mean, in case anyone wants to look up, because when we wrote the little book about the nature of reality, we wrote under a pen name of NOR, so they won't find it under our name, but it is, it is our book, but you still get it on Amazon if anyone wants to look into that. Uh, but it's, uh, <clears throat> it's, not, it's nothing to do with um, the health as we talk about it in our big book. Uh, it is about uh, the sort of true nature of reality, really, which is uh, very different to what anyone thinks it is. It's, as we often say, it's stranger than you can imagine. <laughs> the true nature of reality is stranger than you can imagine. And as people read the book, they'll see why we say that. Um, so anyway, I digress slightly. There. But I think really the what we've been talking about is is <clears> to you know help people break free from this old system that as you say is has been going around for you know for centuries and it's long lost its usefulness and it's it's time to to break free from that and and to to be free and to be free to be who we can and should and really are so you know yeah. that, that was just my thought really that uh, yeah. it's it's sharing the information to help generate that uh, energy to to make things change that's, that, it's, it's again it's explaining things in in language that is in the kind of time and space where we're talking about concepts that are really beyond time and space so I, I just, yeah, well, yeah. You know, it's, it's again the language thing you know we, we're doing our yeah. best with language well, it's, it, it's magic <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the, the magic uh, bear talks about alchemy and uh, and with the, the electrical wavelength forces that he talks about all the time, it literally is how we think and how we use language and through the education and through breaking away and just doing our own thing, we will start shifting the reality to this new paradigm that we want to see. And of course, that's what they're, the black magicians, the controllers, you know, the system, they know what they're doing. They know why it's important to usher everybody into transhumanism and into the digital Kind of box that they're doing because they can just uh, stimmy that uh, our ability to create our own reality so it's uh it's a it's not a really a battle right now it's just an awakening and they're 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 just trying to hold on trying to hold on but it's 
you know, it's, it's ironic that their own systems are working against them because here we are on their, in their digital box and we're using it to spread the information to counter it. And I know they're trying to censor, 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 but the light, once again, they, they are, an, um, they're at a huge disadvantage because they're the darkness and the light always outshines the dark. You just yeah. flip, flip the switch on, right, Bear? Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, light, light is the positive thing, isn't it? You know, and darkness is just the absence of light. You know, darkness isn't a positive thing in itself. It's just the absence of light. So light will always win out. You know, it's like hot and cold, you know. Uh, cold things is just the absence of heat. Heat is a positive thing. So it's just a little explanation. But uh, so light will always win out. And uh, I think these people who have been perpetrating these crimes against humanity, as you rightly say, Mike, they, they know this. They, <laughs> you know, and that's why they're taking many of these panic-stricken measures, because they know this. They know that this is a great time of change that's coming, and we're right in it now. And uh, as you say, they'll be losing their grip, and that's why they're taking these desperate measures of you know, fraudulent scientific papers, corrupting the law, and uh, all the other things that they get up to. So it's a sure sign that they know they're losing. And uh, we just have to keep the pressure on. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll come out of it okay. Well, we'll come out of it into a much better place than we've had for hundreds, probably thousands of years. Yeah. The most remarkable thing I see is that we're all finding each other. Um, you know, you guys are across the pond. I work uh, weekly with people all over the world and we're all got the same story. We're all getting to know each other. We realize that while we're, you know, we are transcendent beyond political or geopolitical boundaries, uh, you know, we're all one body, so to speak. And, um, you know, it's just that that's the most gratifying thing about all this is you realize, no, it's not just isolated to a particular country or a particular group. It's like, no, this is this is a global movement. Uh, kindred spirits are finding each other. And uh, and just talking to you folks today is just it's so overwhelming to me sometimes that uh, you know we are all finding each other we all do have a common interest and uh, and that more often than not when you get to know people no matter where you're from whatever culture you grow up with uh, you know most people are heartfelt and they do want the best thing for everybody and so it helps us see through that narrative that we've been taught that oh the people in that country are our enemy or or other you know some other such things so uh, this technology is working in our favor in a way and that it is helping us find each other. Yeah, as you, as I'm sure you know, uh, there's no such thing as coincidence. So, you know, we come together, we meet up, we're doing what we're doing because that's part of what it's meant to be. So, um, and that, that, of course, is why the establishment, we'll call them that, is putting in these measures to try and, I give the illusion of isolation, you know, keep your distance, wear a mask. And that's what it's all about, to try and stop people realising what they are, realising that they're all one. And I mean that. I mean, I know a lot of the esoteric religions talk about everything being one, and that's really what they mean. We are all one. We appear to be separate. Uh, but that's because we think of ourselves as separate. We speak of ourselves as separate. We talk about I, me, you, them. You know, our language makes it look like we're separate. And these are all 
those are linguistic tricks really which we have to rise above and realize them for what they are words are powerful but they can instill the wrong ideas and of course they give the illusion of separation and uh, but <laughs> i'm getting more into uh, nature reality now which is not what i intended but um, it all goes back to again education and and the language that we are um that we use the vocabulary that we have and it's always being um shortened and curtailed so that we have only certain words and, and some words are, are no longer used and everything's being manipulated but that's that's all part of it but it's it's to understand that education isn't doesn't take place in a in a building it takes place um wherever you are to to keep learning keep an open mind keep asking questions and to to keep developing what you think you know and uh, keep learning and always sort of look at all of, well people all will, the evidence that you can find because that's getting harder as well, well people will, but to keep open people will learn more outside of the official education mm, system absolutely. i know dawn and i certainly did and, I, and i'm sure you did bear and mike you know you'll have learned more once you've come out of the official education system and carry on learning which of course we do um we learn far more about the true nature of reality true nature of our beings and uh, uh and, and i sort of uh, recommend that people do that you know don't uh, don't put up with what you're told by official them you know look outside that and then you'll realize your true nature which is fantastic and very powerful okay but also to look inside yourself as well you know take that time you know the quite again you know because of all these distractions people don't have the don't allow themselves the time to just sit and and contemplate and think and and just well just have that quiet time quiet reflective time yeah it's the old uh, <clears throat> the old esoteric saying of man know thyself um and that's that's an inner thing and uh, much wisdom comes from that and of course why uh many mystics uh, go into these uh quiet places where they can go inside themselves mentally and uh, learn sort of true wisdom about themselves and about reality it's uh, just necessary to shut off from um, the clamor of the world and all its distractions again we're coming back as to why uh, it's set up for children to be distracted all the time because they never get the chance to go inside themselves they never get chance to uh, uh, to for introspection um and of course that carries on into adulthood so people never know who they are and uh, they're kept separate and think of themselves as separate and and that's that's a deliberate act it's not accidental so anyway i can see that uh, time is moving on there were other things but uh, i was going we were going to talk about poverty uh, and how it's uh, used as a as a global weapon but uh, i think that's a big subject in itself so we'll probably leave that for another time so uh, anyway i hope i hope we've uh, covered a few interesting points and uh, that your audience uh, we didn't lose them on the way as we got uh, into some of the more esoteric stuff so uh, are you kidding probably... me we well, didn't you, get we didn't get esoteric enough <laughs> our audience loves esoteric Go well they ahead. love that and uh, anything you do want to have for parting words or, or just open up a little uh, discussion on the tail end here just go wherever you'd like well uh, without taking up too much time um as i say we just wanted to some of these things that we've put forward tonight about the education and the dire straits that it's in 
um, and the medical research in the peer review system, which as I think people must know is a very corrupt system. And I'm just looking at a, a quote here from uh, uh, Dr. Bregin, who's a, I think he's still alive, quite an old guy now, but uh, uh, an American uh, psychiatrist and, and MD, of course. And he summed up the peer review system as it is now as just one more old buddy network guaranteeing that critical viewpoints never see the light of day while badly flawed studies supporting the establishment are rushed into print. And I think that really sums up the peer reviewed system. So it's a pretty worthless thing. It's uh, just done to protect itself, to protect the status quo and uh, is of no use. In fact, it's a real hindrance to real people in the real world. The good old boy network. Yeah, it's, it's the old buddy network, yeah, as, as uh, Dr. Bregin said. And that's how they um, perpetuate it. You know, they, they keep, uh, again, you know, they have their discussions on the golf course or whatever, and they make sure that um, they stay in charge of all the information that goes out. But, I mean, that goes back to how it was even set up in the first place. It was to make the medical establishment more of a profession, and so they set it up in a particular way, so it was all controlled. And so only one particular system um, was able to then become the medical system they cut everything else out um with the idea of oh well it makes it a profession and that's the one that uh, everyone follows and that's the one that we all have to bow down to as the authority but of course it was controlled right from the very beginning is you know with, uh, with big all, money the yeah. Rocket, rockefeller uh, and the reflection I mean, report i mean yeah. as people i'm sure know about yes yes I'm sure. but, it, but as a, a closing thing on this i would i would just like to say really um we hope people will have a look at our website at uh, whatreallymakesyouill.com and um, <clears throat> we're always putting up articles there so and videos of course like this one so if people are not too bored with us they can uh, listen to what we say um, and uh, read some of the documents that we put up there uh, which they may find quite challenging but hopefully helpful and uh, you know keep educating yourselves you know people need to educate themselves yeah, we do hope people keep buying our book. There's a lot of information in there that would will help set them free from the uh, medical establishment, the medical dogma, um, and so they can see the real reasons of what's happening with this whole uh, fake pandemic. You know, um, we sort of move into yes, we move into into the latter part of the book. We move into sort of vested interests and how this thing's set up and uh, so we hope people will take advantage of that we spent many years doing it so uh, so that you don't have to um it's as simple as that really so um yeah but look outside yourself and inside yourself as we've been talking about tonight you know truly get to know yourself realize what you really are and together we can overcome this uh, travesty that's been perpetrated and uh, set everyone free and that's really the aim of it Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, well, thank you so much again. Um, you know, we could go on and, and I'd love to talk to you guys all day. And uh, I, I see we definitely, uh, I know I want to, you know, be able to chat again with you guys. So you're welcome anytime. And, thank you. Uh, but, but thank you. Wonderful discussion. Always great to connect with you. Keep up the great work. And Mike, maybe if you could say something into the mic while you're holding their book up so that gets into the permanent recording there. And uh, 
Yeah. So um, the book's fantastic. It's an, actually a very pleasurable read for how dense um, you would think the material is. But Don and David do an amazing job of really making it a fun read. It's, it's so well researched. And it's just, an, you know, it's a great gift. Christmas coming up. You can actually um, go to alphavedic.com forward slash book list. And it's on there so you could support us and them at the same time. Now it is through the evil Amazon. Um, if you want to try something different, and I don't care, we won't take the commission. It's still going to be buying from them. Um, there is another, I put it here in the chat and um, I've already lost it. Um, but I will, oh geez, there's an alternative. It's a bookstore out of Portland that has a lot of stock. And I'd have to see if you guys are in there or not. Um, but there are some alternatives to Amazon for buying books. And um, I'm going to start looking more into that because that just plays more into what we're talking about, right? Which is not yeah. supporting the big corporate oligarchs. Yeah. So, um, we did, Sorry, we did find that uh, surprised us really, that if you look for online bookstores, uh, there's quite a few of them come up and uh, that do you can buy our book through. So I just recommend if someone doesn't want to buy it through Amazon, have a look, just type in online bookstores and, um, and have a look and then choose which one you fancy and, uh, and uh, buy it from them. Oh, instead. it's available. So uh, if you go to pals.com, which is pals uh, books, and I think they're out of Portland, you're in there. So um, there's uh, an example of doing it through a local books. I mean, it's a huge, massive bookstore. Um, but they have it right there for $35. Um, so, um, guys, uh, that's cool. That's really cool. So, yeah, I mean, we have our, our book list on Amazon, but I, dude, I want to, I'm actually contacting pals, by the way, Bear, to see if we can start using that, going through them instead as an affiliate. And they're, they're not even taking any more affiliates right now. I think a lot of people are on that same tip, but I'm going to try giving them a call again. So I would love to get off Amazon altogether. And I know Amazon's convenient because it's prime shipping and everything, but we guys, we got to stop paying in, playing into convenience as it's just, that's how the slavery works. It's they just make everything convenient so that you give up your rights and which is yeah. what's yeah. coming down the line where essentially they're going to have it. So um, you're going to give up all your debt in, in, in just an exchange, you just give up all your private rights, all your private property, your rights, uh, you have to get the vaccine, but you'll be debt free. Uh, that could be coming down the line. There's a, a leaked document out of Canada that um, Curtis Stone dropped last night that a friend sent to him from the prime minister's office saying that's the plan moving forward is they're going to do like kind of like a debt jubilee, but in exchange for that debt uh, release, you have, you're going to be giving, signing away all your private property and you'll have to get the vaccine. And those that don't will be put in uh, isolation camps. Um, and this is supposedly from, sent from the prime minister's office to him from a leaked, leaked someone that were just, we're not going to go with it. So anyways, I don't know how true that is. You can look up Curtis was on, um, uh, was talking about that last night with Owen Benjamin. So uh, pretty interesting times, guys. So stop buying well, the convenience. <laughs> it's not worth it. If it means I get to hang out with uh, people like yourselves, I'll put myself in the isolation camps instead. <laughs> Quite right. Yeah, we'll have uh, fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll, we'll play some we need a movement going. 
they'll regret it. <laughs> Play some liar's dice. Um, okay, guys. Well, hey, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks everybody out there. Uh, massive shout out to King X Club, Solar Man, Alive Inside for the uh, donations on DLive. We love and appreciate you. Uh, yes, Nasara is a honeypot. Sorry, Russ. Um, but <laughs> um, if you guys resonated with this talk, please follow us on, uh, just go to alphavedic.com, join our mailing list. All of our stuff's on there. Go to whatreallymakesyouill.com. Is that right? What was the website again? Whatreallymakesyouill.com. Yeah. Whatreallymakesyouill.com. Please support David and Don. They're doing amazing, amazing work. And if this inspires you, to get out of your nine to five job if COVID hasn't kicked you out already. If you're, if you're depressed, if you're wondering what to do, get involved. You can become an entrepreneur in this movement. There is so much hunger for information. Do your own research, find ways to create your own YouTube or, you know, your D live channel or write a, you know, start a blog or get active in some other ways. Maybe start your own gardening uh, garden and start doing, you know, your own local garden co-op. I mean, there's so much need for uh, as this break, as our own breakaway civilization ignites for us to, to get involved together and we can all help each other out in terms of bartering and in terms of uh, our doing our own commerce um, get involved with Cordal. Cordal's in massive need of funds right now. It's like in a decentralized system like this, it's fully open source. The developers are having to go, unfortunately, do other things because they've run out of means to, so to support it. So please, you know, there's all sorts of things to get involved with here. We Now's the time. So uh, that that's my whole um, spiel on that. But uh, this will be on YouTube later at 5 p.m. And then we're going to start putting more and more stuff on BitChute. I think I'm going to get going on Mastodon. I just want to get off everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I am just sick of it all. Uh, with Music and Sky, the event we did last weekend, we're not going to be on any of those. We're going to be using Mastodon, DLive, BitChute. We're done. We're done with those systems. So please, guys. Join us in, the, in this new world because it's going to be really exciting. Thanks, everybody. We love you. And uh, get outside. Go grow something. Uh, go get some exercise and get some fresh air, some sun, and, and, and go hug your neighbor. Cheers. <laughs>